it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Circles Off podcast, episode number six. Rob Pizzola here, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And Johnny, it's been uh, quite an eventful week, I would say, with the Ben the Better Challenge finally coming to its completion. Uh, in honestly one of the like one of the most epic fashions I think possible because it it came down to the last day there was a, a tiny bit of controversy as part of it as well but like Ben having essentially the best week he's had in I don't even know how long and still losing to my tortoise it it, it just doesn't get any better than that really what a week uh, it was a lot of fun to 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 do this challenge on the app and to have everyone. I think it it grew way bigger than probably either of us expected. Uh, a lot of money bet crossing hands both on Twitter and uh, I guess through some of the sports books. And of course, like you mentioned, Ben finds a way to blow it. Uh, but yeah, it was awesome. And um, I don't know how we're gonna start the podcast next week. We probably started with Ben four weeks in a row, and now next week we're gonna we're not gonna be able to. Uh, but, but yeah, it was great. Congrats to Tortellini. Uh, I figured it would be a good time now actually to go through some of the, the strategy that was either a used in the contest, but then what maybe would have been more optimal strategy. Cause you and I had chatted off air about this. Uh, we didn't really want to release anything publicly just to not affect kind of the contest or anything. But, uh, what do you think of the strategy kind of that, that Ben used or maybe his advisors, and then maybe what's your op- optimal strategy here? And we can kind of debate this. Well, I mean, I I think Ben's strategy was horrible in general. Um, There's such an inherent advantage in being able to pick first, for one. And Ben was employing that for the most part. I don't know why he chose not to on the final day. That doesn't make sense to me. But um, Ben never bets overnights, like ever. If you're a Patreon subscriber of his, he doesn't release picks the night before or at, at two in the morning. So obviously there was some influence there where someone said to him, you know, use this to your advantage, which is the correct thing to do, because obviously you give yourself the best chance to to beat a line if you're betting that far in advance. And he kind of got screwed on some news here and there. I think that maybe affected him going into the last day where he said, I want to wait for as much injury info as possible before making my picks. But he made his picks at like 4 p.m. Eastern, which is essentially like all the markets have settled at that point. He He got rid of a lot of his advantage on the final day. And then just in general, he controls the amount of picks that are made by the tortoise. So he built up an early lead and instead of dialing, like he should have dialed it back to three picks when he had an early lead, unless he felt he had some like really big edges in, in games. But you know, I don't, I don't think he felt that way or I don't think that was his thought process. But as soon as you build up a lead of multiple units, you want to pick as few games as possible. As soon as you go behind to the tortoise, you want to pick as many games as possible. And I think that's where, his lack of strategy cost him because really there's there is such a an inherent advantage to being that that first person to pick and i think that's where he you know he still had a good week he still had he was profitable but the strategy 2.2% ROI on a on a minus 1.2% CLV 
I, I mean, lucky week. And I, I think Tortellini also had a lucky week in general. But yeah, I think Ben could have gamed the system a little bit more. He Final day, it was clear that... I, I mean, I, I don't want to say it was clear because I don't want to make any accusations. But he obviously didn't pick anything that was minus 110 on the final day for obvious reasons because if he picks something that's minus 105 and he forces Tortellini to pick the minus 110 in the game, he has a chance to make up units there just off if both lost. So there was definitely something going on where I don't think it was strictly Ben, you know, determining the selections and the number of selections. But I think there was definitely a missed opportunity early on to start scaling things back and really take control rather than, I think you pumped eight plays on one day. Uh, Like, what Ben actually did for anyone who wasn't necessarily following us closely is uh, he started off three and zero the first day, five and zero the second day, so a cumulative eight and zero. At which point he had a, a roughly like a six unit lead with five days to go, and at that point, I mean, it's clear you would want to reduce variance as much as possible. So taking the minimum amount of games, which was three, uh, that means that over the course of one day, roughly Tortellini can only gain in a three and zero day versus a zero and three day for Ben. Tortellini can only gain six units, which is what he was down. So, I mean, if I was Ben, my strategy would have been the first day, instead of picking three, I would have chosen eight. Uh, Rationale is they're both essentially coin flipping. Ben wants to always know if he's up a lot or down a lot. So variance at the beginning is Ben's friend because he's the one who controls the amount of picks. So if I was Ben, what I would do is take eight picks uh, every time I was tied if I was up, I would be taking the three picks. And if I was down, I'd be taking eight picks. Uh, simple, basic strategy that I think a lot of people would be able to agree with here and would understand. But uh, what, what do you think? Anything you would do differently? No, I, I completely agree with that. That's that's what I would have done out of the gate is I don't know if I would have necessarily done eight because for me, I, I want to pick as many things that I think are plus EV as possible. And it depends on what the NBA and NHL and, and college basketball was part of this. He didn't pick any college basketball games because I don't think for coin flippers, by the way, if you have an right. edge, obviously, then you're going to have to factor in like how many plays do you have an edge on in that day and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm saying strictly like if this was a coin flip contest yeah. where you legit flip a heads or tails, then that would be my strategy. So f- outside of that, would you have changed anything from that? No, that's exactly what I would have done. I would have went hard out of the gate, see where I'm at the next day. And if I'm behind, then I'm going to the max again. If I'm ahead, I'm going to the minimum. And I would have I would have tried to control that as much as possible. I would have bet early like he was doing just in general. Um, I, I, I mean, he didn't make a ton of mistakes, but to me, that was a, a pretty large one in general that really cost him because you get that early lead. Like you're, you're up to a five, six unit lead and you start limiting to three plays a day, it's hard for the tortoise to come back from that. Like, yeah, with only five days left. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, that was the most surprising thing for me um, was, I mean, it was very surprising that he went eight and oh the first two days. I mean, I was, I was actually floored by that just in general, but um, to not start scaling back at that point was, was a huge mistake. And then the final day, he, kn- he knows the rules of the contest. We, we, we were in a Twitter thread together, myself, Johnny, and Ben, um, where we were discussing rules before we started and what we would do in different scenarios. Letting the tortoise pick a puck line in a game 
where he could end up with a plus 125 or whatever the number was, was also a, a grave mistake on Ben's part. Like he, he should have realized that he should not have picked the total in a game where there was a big favorite. Uh, because then it allows Tortellini to get plus money on one of the sides like he did. And I mean, that's what cost that ultimately cost him the day. Because if, if Ben just picks another game and he loses the total and Tortellini also wins the side, Ben wins the competition. It was Tortellini being able to get that plus 124 on the, the Minnesota wild puck line that, that won him um, the competition as a whole. So definitely like a massive error on the final day um, in his selection, because I, I, it, it, it should be very hard to lose picking first. And, and we realize this after the first or second day, John and me and you chatting back and forth, like there's way more of an advantage picking first than we thought there was going in to the point where Ben probably should have been like a minus 200 favorite in this competition. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because also, like you mentioned, Tortellini has to pick the game or the total in the side that like when Ben picks the game, Tortellini picks a total and vice versa. So Ben can also uh, essentially control what odds set Tortellini is betting into, whether he's betting a minus 10 minus 10, or if he's betting, you know, an NHL game, that's plus 40 minus 40 or whatever was in the constraints of the rule. So the final day, Ben was down by like a 10th of a unit 0.1 units, but he didn't necessarily use that to his advantage as he should have. Like he could have, negated that advantage like you mentioned by just taking games with slightly less juice than uh than the tur- than the turtle did yeah i mean mistakes were made along the way but at the end of the day ben just continues to be the ultimate mush i i mean we knew this going in people were like i don't care i'll i'm laying minus 170 with the tortoise because Ben will find a way to lose. And we talked about this on the pod a couple weeks ago is he's going to find a way to lose. Even with help, he found a way to lose. And I'll share some behind the scenes stuff because nobody really knows this and it wasn't talked about, but, and I don't really want to throw out accusations, but I'll just state the facts and I'll state what I believe happened. But Ben would lock in plays the night before. And I'd wake up to messages in Twitter saying uh, on Twitter and my DM saying, Rob, my plays are locked in. I went with five plays today and I checked bet stamp and there was only two that were verified. So it's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And I'd message Johnny and Johnny would say he locked in plays, but he changed the, the Chris numbers and he actually gave himself a worse number than what was available at the time. So for example, Chris would be minus 110 on a side. Ben would type in minus 113, which I guess is like an honest thing to do. But the only reason, like the only way I could figure, imagine someone is typing in a worse number is if they're reading off a sheet of plays, like where somebody says, play this at minus 113 instead of minus. Like what, what, el- what other reason could he possibly be locking in a worse play, a, a worse number? Like he's opening the app. He's seeing over five and a half minus 110. And he types in minus 113. Like it, it, for me, that's just something where if I had to speculate, and again, I'll never be able to prove this. I don't really care, but this is pure speculation. I would imagine he was getting a list of plays from somewhere, whether that was all the ones he was going to pick or maybe a larger list that included VIG that didn't match what was in the app. 
and he would lock those in. So I would make Johnny go back and look at the exact Chris line at the time that he locked it in. And we gave him the better number at the end of the day. We verified it with what the Chris number was there. But this happened every single day. Like not a single day went by where this didn't happen. And we informed him of what was happening and saying like, just use the Chris line, just lock it in. And it never changed. And I'm struggling to comprehend what other, like what else could have possibly happened or been the case for him to lock in a different number every single time. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, you nailed it on the head. That's likely what was happening. Um, and like, like you mentioned, like everything was, was verified at the correct numbers. Um, like, I personally tried to do my best of getting everything like in play. He had every time he messaged, he's like, these are my plays. We gave him the numbers at the time. He was correct. A lot of the time, sometimes he'd even just like, um, change the number in the app, which gives it to an unverified. And then like, it would come back to minus, he would put it back at minus minus one ten anyways. Uh, so it was kind of just stuff where I could tell from even our back end that he was entering off like a list, not just taking a look at the app and then going in, but it's all good. Um, if you really thought about it from before the competition, like, I guess, you know, if you think about it, you, you didn't know Ben was going to lose. Like you didn't know he was going to lose, but then when you really think about it, you did know, you did know already he was going to lose. That's it, 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 man. Like I, that's the best way to put it is <laughs> I, I asked you like, what odds would you need on bet? If I gave you a, a max bet, I can't remember the amount I said, I said, I'll give you a $10,000 bet what price do you need to take Ben? And you're like, you know, in theory, you should 101 is value, but you're like, I don't know what I would need because like the guy just, he just loses. He just finds me sitting here right now. And then I, and then I bet on, on Ben and lost. I I feel horrible because I knew the whole time. Like it's been said this guy, I mean, hopefully he can turn it around. He's, he looks like he had a good day on his Patreon today, yesterday, but it, it, you you knew from beforehand, whatever it was, if he was going to have a three unit week, Tortellini was going to have three point one. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say who sent me the direct message before, um, before this competition started because it was, I mean, it's private, and he asked me not to say in general. But some guy basically went back and tracked Ben's last one thousand plays, and we I will say this about Ben. We talked about it before. He may. You know, he may sell picks on a Patreon. He may say some horrible things to women in direct messages, which are frowned upon. And I should say that I don't condone that whatsoever. And this is coming to light now with some recent messages in the last couple of days. But he is transparent. He recaps properly. He uses real lines. So if you did want to go back and track, it's very easy to do so. And the guy sent me a a full history of Ben's last thousand plays and he hit 38%. It's, it's, it's so hard to be that bad. Like I haven't done a, a probability calculator, a binomial distribution or anything like that to figure out the probability of that. But it's, it's definitely less than like 0.5%. It's probably like even less than 0.1%. It is almost impossible to be that bad over a large sample. Um, but little bit of outside help, a little bit of um, rules working in your favor, made it a competition this week. So so credit to him. But the, the last thing I want to say about the entire Ben situation in general 
is this all started because he challenged me to a competition. And we talked about it probably on the second or third episode that we did, Johnny, where I basically said, I'm scared of going head to head against Ben because there's nothing for me to gain. I'm expected to beat him. He's expected to lose. But these seven day competitions are stupid because there's just so much variance. And we just saw it this week. Like the guy lost to a reptile. Like he lost to a tortoise. The final day, Tortellini literally shat in his water a second before we came on air. And this is the person, this is the animal that beat Ben. Like it's so random and people don't really realize the variance in sports betting. They're like, oh, you're chicken. You're, you know, I'm like, yeah, of course I am. Like, I, I don't want 30 to, to put my reputation on the line for 30 plays against this guy. And then not only that, I have no guarantee that he's actually picking the games himself. There's no way to possibly guarantee this because now all of a sudden, if I go up against him, guess what the odds are going to be on that? I mean, people are going to put me as a huge favorite. I'm not I'm not just saying that because I'm conceited or anything. That's just the case. I'm a, a pro better against a guy that picks 38% over 1,000 plays. I'm going to be a massive favorite. People are going to start betting on Ben, and they're going to start feeding him sharp plays. So I'm going to end up facing another sharp. And, and like the the whole point of this, this Ben versus Tortellini competition for me was to prove how dumb these short like these small sample size competitions are. And I think that was kind of proven here. Like it, it it's mission accomplished for me. Like it's, I, I'm glad it came down to the wire. I'm glad Tortellini won because it, it just, it reinforces why I should never do something like this myself. Yeah. Smart decision. Okay. So we got March madness coming up tomorrow. Uh, I guess you'd call that. I mean, not necessarily day one, but the first major day. Um, and let's, let's talk about kind of like what you're going to be doing. Are, are you going to be like watching all the games? How are you going to be betting it? Do you have an edge? Do you not have an edge? Like what's a cool way to bet in game, have more fun. Uh, well, we'll start with you and then I can go through kind of like what I uh, typically do on a, the average March madness Thursday, which this year is obviously a Friday. Yeah. I mean that, first of all, that threw me off big. I actually woke up this morning thinking there was games today. I did the Calcutta auction for, um, uh, uh, bet the process uh, Rufus and Jeff's draft last night. And I thought today was games. I don't know. I, I guess maybe COVID is influencing things. It's completely, completely threw me for a loop, but um, obviously I've been out of the loop on college basketball just in general. I mean, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and, um, and proclaim myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I didn't bet a single college basketball game this year. Um, just because I, I I put my time elsewhere, um, and for me, I think my my college basketball edge. I don't want to say it's dried up because it hasn't dried up, but the inability the inability to bet what I want to bet on college basketball games uh, has influenced me over time. So that's kind of led to where I'm at now. But I still have an interest in the tournament. Uh, I love March Madness in general. It's one of my favorite times of year. So of course I will be live betting. And of course, I'm going to go into the tournament um, with some futures for different regions, tournament as a whole. And honestly, I have I ran some simulations with my numbers, crowdsourced with a couple of friends' numbers who I trust quite a bit, and I used those for the Calcutta yesterday. But even just for tournament futures, all I was doing, Johnny, was just 
picking off stale lines at, at different books. Like you'd see a number stand out. And I think that's one of the advantages of having several outlets to bet, whether that's legalized sports books or offshore or PPH. If you have like 25 different books you could look at at one time and compare the same odd set, there's always going to be numbers that stand out. And some of them um, are not enough to overcome the VIG, but some of them are. So, you know, I'm going in with some futures on uh, on some different teams um, just in general. But in as far as live betting goes, I'm not going to back my reputation on what I'm about to say here, but this is kind of what I'm planning to do for the tournament. And that's essentially bet against runs in games. So you're saying this is not like an angle. This is not like a, an edge you have more just for fun or what are you saying? Yeah, I I, I want to win, obviously. My expectation is I think I will win. I don't really bet anything for just the sake of betting. That's not something that I do. Um, but I haven't been paying attention to the college basketball markets at all this year. So I don't know if this kind of stuff has been adjusted for in live betting or not. Uh, I guess I'll know pretty quickly tomorrow uh, as soon as games start happening. But just in general, there's a lot of variance in in short time frames in college basketball, right? You'll see teams go on a 12-0 run over the course of two or three minutes. And that's drastically going to affect the line. I'm betting on things to reg- regress closer to the norm over, over time. So you see pretty quick adjustments to teams going out on these runs, shooting the lights out as an example. Like a team might shoot 90% in a five-minute span that is extremely unlikely to continue for the rest of the game. Um, so that's kind of my approach uh, just in general. There's obviously other things that will play into it, like injuries during the game, foul situations for specific teams and things of that nature. And I'm I'm trying to compute this all on the fly. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be involved. I'll be betting. Um, and I'll, you know, there'll be a lot of times where it goes to a commercial break because the team just took a timeout because they've, uh, they've had a really bad run and they're probably betting on that team at the commercial break, obviously dependent on the number, but that's just in general, likely what I'm going to be doing. Sounds good. So I'm, uh, in, I'm in a little bit of the same boat there. Uh, I don't necessarily have like, you know, I don't have a big edge on college basketball. Um, I don't make any real money betting on college basketball, but, um, you know, during the tournament, there are things you can do to just not only make some money or try to make some money, but also just improve the fun. Uh, when you're watching college basketball and there's so many games on, like we've, we've got an awesome setup here at the office. We've got four TVs, uh, all a unique cable box. We're going to have every game on plus some NHL plus some NBA tomorrow, but like, it's a lot of fun to just be involved, even if it's small money. Um, and what I find is like you, you hit the nail on the head when you said having more sports books, more outs to be able to play and picking off the stale numbers on the, on the futures markets. But for us here, it's also like the more places you have that will take your action, that will let you play. Um, the more, like, it's just so much easier to not get burned, even if you're just trying to have fun. So if you're betting, let's say at minus 20, minus 20, you're getting, you're getting burned so much more than if you can just shop around and get like a minus 101 and plus 100. So what we're going to do a lot of tomorrow is have a lot of our live bet outs open. And we don't necessarily have any like incredible technology that compares live odds across everything, across all the outs we have, but just even keeping it out, like, you know, 
a lot of people like the recreational guys watching tomorrow if you want a live bet instead of just opening up your your phone and having your one sports book bring your computer open up three tabs go bang 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 and then you have your phone and now you're comparing four places and when it goes to commercial break instead of you wanted a team that was you know plus 200 you're gonna look oh there's plus 228 oh there's 250 oh there's 278 and now you're you know you just had a lot more expected value um, without sacrificing any fun so it's not necessarily like an edge um, that's going to help you win money, but this will help save you a ton of money. Is like, if you're live betting tomorrow, like, you know, bring your computer. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there won't be a single podcast that we ever do that. I don't think where we don't talk about line shopping in some capacity, like it's being price sensitive is so important in general. Uh, and listen, if you're a professional better and you're betting you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a game. You're limited in where you can bet. You're probably just trying to get as much down as you possibly can. That's a different story. But when you're a recreational better or someone who's not betting into max limits, being able to get the price, the best price available, it's so huge in the long run. And like, you just apply it to other aspects of real life, right? Like if you have two gas stations next to each other and one is selling gas at a significantly less price than the other, you're going to go pull into that one. Like, why wouldn't you do that with a sports book? You go to a grocery store and the exact same bag of chips, you know, one's on one's for two bucks and one is for three bucks, the exact same bag. You're always going to take the one that's two bucks. Like, it's just a common sense principle. So, I mean, it, I, I didn't think I needed to explicitly state it, but yes, I'll be doing the same thing. Johnny, like I'll have every single tab up and open. What I wanted to, to ask you about is, have you been doing a lot of live betting just in general this year on other sports? Um, I'm not primarily a live better, um, but you know, I mean, I'm, I follow the markets. Yeah. What are you, what are you asking? No, so, so I, I'm just curious. So uh, I'm not much of a live better either because I spend most of my day in front of a computer uh, betting into pregame markets. Years ago, I said, I'm, I'm probably going to pivot to live at some point. I just really haven't done that yet because I still have a decent edge on some pregame markets. So I've stuck with that, but I'm just wondering if the experience has changed for you at all, because it used to be pretty frustrating experience. And I'm not speaking about one specific site in general. I'm talking industry wide, right? To get a bet in line, prices moving uh, live, sorry, prices moving on you, um, not being able to get it it could be frustrating. So I just wanted to know if you've had any different experiences this year, because honestly, I've not been doing much dabbling into live betting in 2021. So uh, I'm more so curious about whether you're noticing the industry changing and whether sports books are improving from that perspective. Yeah. So I think there's, there's major issues that haven't necessarily been fixed. Um, when you, when you bet live and it's actually during the game, everybody knows that these games are slightly delayed versus what you're watching on TV. Even if you're watching on like the regular cable plug-in, you're going to be delayed. If you're watching on a stream or some sort of streaming service, you're definitely delayed. So betting like on the actual game in play during the game is not wise because you're, you're going to have spinning wheels and you're going to get free rolled a lot, which whether you like it or not, it's what happens. Um, me, when I'm talking about live betting, I'm talking like exclusively during commercial breaks. Um, or during like timeouts where, you, you know, maybe there's not a commercial, but I can clearly see that there's a timeout and the market has been paused and they'll accept that bet right away. Uh, if you start dabbling with 
betting in the actual game and a sport like basketball, where there is so much action, where two points, you know, depending on the time of the game, late in the game swings the line so much. Uh, it's not fun. It's not fun when you try to bet on something and then you see the bet goes in and then you, you see your team had already missed a shot or vice versa. You see a bet get rejected and then you see your team hit a, you know, three from the logo and then you're, you know, you're going nuts only to see your bet got rejected. So I, I would stick to my advice, I guess, to everyone who's live betting tomorrow is actually, I didn't even mention this bet on the commercial breaks or, or timeouts or whistles. Like don't bet during the actual action. It sucks right now, the way the industry is, and I'm hoping it's going to get better. But as of right now, it's just a garbage product to be doing that. I feel like whoever solves that is going to have such a competitive advantage in market over everyone else, like just a seamless live betting experience. And I'm not really sure what that looks like, but I know that there's just a lot of pain points in general right now. I don't know if they can ever be solved. Um, it'd be interesting to see the evolution of live products over the, over the years. Um, or if there's some sort of creative out of the box solution, um, that presents itself at some point. I'm not sure. I'm really not, but that's just my frustration with live in general. Um, I don't know if there's anyone out there who, you know, exclusively bets live and wants to post, uh, hit us up at, at the bet stamp, uh, Twitter account or my Twitter account at Rob Pizzola and let me know which books have the most seamless live betting experiences, but I'd be interested to see them because, uh, for me over the course of my lifetime, it's largely been frustration of trying to get bets in time, odds moving, or the traders just taking the time to manually review, which drives me absolutely up the wall, right? Like this is the the price on site. I go to put in that bet and now it gets referred to a trader to review that. And then they'll limit me or maybe not even accept a bet at times, which is just like, it's nonsense, right? Yeah, for sure. So let's hope uh, we have positive experiences tomorrow. Uh, live betting this stuff, obviously shopping around and, uh, and let's hope we can make some cap. Do, do you have a rooting interest for the tournament? Uh, not at all. The root, so I, in ter- like I can go ahead, like I, I'm looking to have fun first and foremost tomorrow and, and do so in as cheap a way as possible in the sense of my EV. So if I can make a little bit of money, that's great. Um, it's not necessarily like the, the best use of my time is not to watch all these games and bet on them. The best use of my time is to do something else. But yeah. this is, this is a lot of fun for, for me and I've been doing it for years. I can say like, I, I don't have fun betting like full game on college basketball just because like it's such a long game. Like, so what I'll typically do is like, you know, try to get something in for a half and then try to get something live in for the, for the full game. Uh, not necessarily like it's the most fun, but also it is the best value if you can line shop in game. Uh, pre-market, I'm still going to be picking off prices and stuff like that. Um, but I don't necessarily consider that like rooting interest. That's just like kind of part of, you know, that's the, that's the, the job, that's the business. Um, and then, you know, in play, whatever I can get is kind of like, you know, bonus money. And if I can get it, it's dinner money, you know, it's, and I'm, and just to be clear, like I'm not going to be betting nearly as much as I, I do on other stuff that on this tomorrow. Yeah. Would you say it's fair to say that you spent most of today reloading accounts like I did? <laughs> uh, I mean, not, not really. We, you know, we have a pretty good process of it already. Yeah. But by the way, for those who, uh, are involved in Bitcoin, Anytime I deposit Bitcoin into a sports book, it's almost like a surefire signal that Bitcoin is going to take off in the next few days or a week. So I put Bitcoin into some sports books today. 
converted to USD, you know what that means. It means Bitcoin to the moon in the next week. That's just that's just the curse uh, of uh, of Rob Pizzola depositing uh, Bitcoin into USD. I wish there were more Bitcoin sports books. That nitrogen used to be so great. It's kind of fallen off a little bit. I wish I could uh, exclusively bet in in Bitcoin. I I think at some point we're not too far away from that with a lot of those emerging and some crypto exchanges emerging it well as well, which would be nice. But um, yeah, I mean, I have some rooting interests. There are the I'm I'm rooting for a mess essentially. Like I want garbage teams. If I could get a, anyone between a 13 and a 16, I wouldn't say anyone, but I'm I'm rooting for some upsets um, from the bottom, which are obviously unlikely. Um, and if I'm not going to get an upset in a 13, 14, 15, 16 seed, I hope they get absolutely destroyed. 60 point loss would be very nice. So that's kind of, this is for the Calcutta. Yeah, I ended up with um, some real trash but at very good prices, good expected value. Now I need one of those teams to come through for me. Like if I could get a 13 or a 14 to win a couple of games, I'm laughing. We'll see. Okay, good luck. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, moving on here. Um, another big topic that I want to touch on now typically would come in to, to play at three times during the year. Number one is when you open up a new sportsbook account. Number two is March Madness. And number three is the beginning of the, the NFL season. What I'm talking about is sportsbooks offering you free plays as bonuses. And obviously, you know, they come out during other times of the year, but I wanted to touch on it now as um, I know a ton of sportsbooks are offering free plays for the tournament. And to anyone who's not familiar with exactly what it is, um, they'll give you a, what they call a free play or a risk-free bet in which it's credited to your account with some sort of rollover. If you win the bet, they'll pay you out the win amount. And if you lose the bet, then you know it's a zeroed balance on your risk amount and nothing comes out of your account. So it, it is a promotional tool um, and they are worth you know a certain amount of money. But uh, when a book just gives you, let's say a $200 bonus, you know that's worth $200. Um, less whatever rollover, but we can touch upon that another time. But you know that's worth $200. When they give you a free play and you can bet it on you know, a wide array, a wide array of things, your expected value on that free play is significantly changed based on what you bet it on. So I, I want to go through today like a few of the simple concepts uh, that can help you essentially turn this free play that they give you um, into a lot more money than you might be turning it into right now. All right, sound good, Rob? Yeah, so I mean, let, let's go through an example for, let, let's say NCAA tournament, March Madness, right? You get a free play. You get a $100 free play in your account tomorrow. What What is immediately going to draw your attention? For sure. So if I, if I get a free play tomorrow, the first thing I'm looking at is, you got to read the rules, but the first thing I'm looking at is, assuming no stipulations, I'm trying to bet this on the biggest plus money dog that is allowed to be bet on. Uh, on the site. So to like go through an example with you, whether you're betting on a big favorite or a big dog has a significant edge in your expected value. So if I had a thousand dollar free play, for example, uh, and I bet that on a minus 1000 favorite for tomorrow, then what's going to happen is my risk is going to be zero because it's a free play. And my win amount is going to be a hundred dollars because I'm betting a thousand on a minus 1000 to win a hundred. 
So if I win this bet, I get 100 in my account. If I lose this bet, nothing happens. Uh, given that it's a minus 1,000, that's roughly true odds of 90%. Um, I have a 90% chance to win this bet. That gives me $100. Therefore, my expected value is 90% times 100, $90. So this free play, if I bet it on a minus 1,000, they gave me what they claim to be a $1,000 free play. But really, it's only worth $90 if I bet it on the minus 1,000. Now, adversely, and I'll try to go through this example slowly, but if I bet that on, let's say, a plus 1,000 underdog instead of a minus 1,000 favorite, now my risk is you know the $1,000 free play, which gets zeroed out, and my win amount is $10,000. So if I win that, I win 10000 If I lose, nothing comes out of my account. Uh, given that the bet's now a plus 10,000 instead of a or plus 1,000 instead of a minus 1,000, my expected, you know, implied win probability on this bet is closer to 9% instead of 90%. So I'm much less likely to win this bet. But when I do win this bet, uh, I win 10,000. Multiply that by the 9% expectancy that I win this bet. Now my expected value on this play is $900 instead of $90. So just by betting it on the big underdog versus the big favorite, I've raised my expected value by $810 on a, on a $1,000 free play. So obviously, if you're getting a $500 free play or a $100, scale it back. But these are just two simple examples, and it's kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, minus 1,000, plus 1,000. But really, like even just considering this is like minus 120 or plus 120, it's the same concept and math that applies here. And the reason why for anyone who kind of doesn't understand the math, but just wants a quick reason, the book doesn't credit you back your risk amount. If they did credit you the risk amount plus the win amount, then all of this I'm saying would be irrelevant. But because they do take away the risk amount and don't credit that back in the winnings, you need to be betting on as high a plus money underdog as you possibly can. Uh, obviously within reason. So if it's like huge hold markets or stuff where there's so much juice taken out, it may not be as worth it as some of the lower plus money dogs. Uh, but if you're looking to just maximize expected value, you should be betting it on as high uh, an underdog as possible or a parlay of a few teams that gets you a, an accumulator that's higher than anything that's on the board. What do you think, Rob? Uh, you agree? I do agree, but I, I know that there would be some people out there that would say this might be counterintuitive to some of the rules at some books. So for example, some books will limit the size of the favorite you can play. They would say you can't you can't bet this free play on anything, you know, more than minus two hundred. So somebody might say, Well, if if what Johnny is saying is right here then why are the books limiting you on betting the favorite instead of the underdog? I could probably provide some context there. I mean, it's not an absolute certainty, but it's it's a good think thinking pr process in general or a good um, an example to work through. So, I mean, I've, I've made it clear before that in the past, I've done consulting for several sports books. Um, I'm pretty familiar with this space and pretty familiar with how uh, operators operate in general. So when you win that free play, all of a sudden that free play goes from a bonus issued to a bonus redeemed. And it actually turns into a cost for the sports book. If you lose that free play, it doesn't turn into a cost. It's nothing. So sports books 
might have this as like they might be thinking backwards here and it's very short-sighted in that they don't want to have a bonus cost right away because a lot of sports books budget for bonus in general some of them are publicly traded where they you know they report on revenues on a monthly basis their shareholders and things of that nature so both can be true from a sports book perspective maybe in the long run um they'd be better off allowing you to bet a minus 1000 favorite as an example but you're very likely to win that wager. It's very likely to be a, a bonus redeemed in terms of the way that they commercially calculate um, their revenues. And because of that, they would rather just have you betting on underdogs, even though it's less beneficial to them in the long run. So just in case anyone out there is like, well, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would a sports book restrict you from betting favorites instead of betting underdogs? There's, there's, reasons for that just in general. So don't get too hung up on that. But for the most part, I, I agree with what you're saying, Johnny. I, that's that's where the value is there. I mean, it's it's a simple EV calculation. Yeah. And you're more experienced than me from like the back end and the sports book perspective. But ultimately, like I get it. Running a business is different than just maximizing EV. You want to make sure, you know, you, maybe you don't want to report that you're bonusing every single, uh, every single person that plays there for some shareholders. Maybe it's, you know, different things that are at play there. Uh, and not every sports book limits you. There's only a few that, that do limit these free plays to certain odds. I know some of, you know, most of the legal books put you within a range. So they'll say like, you know, nothing above or below, you know, plus 200 minus 200, or they might say, you know, you have to bet it on, you know, a full, a major market full game, in which case, like if you're betting on NBA, the biggest underdog you're possibly going to, going to get is not, it's not like you're going to get a, you know, a plus $50,000 right and nba side so there there are limits that are put in play um i have a few other kind of tips here for using these that are not just about you know betting the highest plus money dog uh another thing you need to be careful of which is the dumbest way to lose your free play and to lose ev is if your bet pushes so again read the rules but at uh, about half of the sports books right now if your free play pushes then it's a loss they count it as a loss so you basically need to make sure that there's a very, very, very low chance of this game pushing. So for example, taking an NHL total of over under six is a bad idea. Taking an NFL spread at, you know, plus three or plus seven or even anything that's any whole number. Yeah. yeah any whole number, number is just a bad idea. So what you're going to want to do for sure is look for plus money on a side where the game can't necessarily tie um, such as, you know, NHL or NBA, uh, or if you're taking a total, then make sure you have something with a half point there because you're reducing, you're just eliminating your risk of a push outside of the fact that, you know, the game may get canceled or any freak incidents like that. So anything where there was like, you know, COVID news or, or big situations like that, try to avoid those games. And if you really want to like, you know, get the, make sure they're not being postponed, then try to bet it right before the game instead of, you know, a couple days in advance, cause you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, especially in today's day. And just, just to add to this, we're in a, we're in a, a day and age now where obviously we've just had regulation happen in, in the U S over the course of the last uh, year or so gaming market is booming. You have a lot of operators competing with one another. These opportunities to capitalize on bonus free plays, they exist everywhere nowadays. So again, Search for this stuff, 
read the rules. It's not long. And the conditions on a lot of these free plays, but it's an opportunity. Like it's, it's a literally an opportunity for free money. You cannot say that a whole lot. And if you do things right, you can really maximize your expected value and you can really turn it into something or at least build like you could, you could build a miniature bankroll out of nothing by just capitalizing on these types of bonuses. I was talking to Captain Jack the other day and he was, this. we kind of spent 10, 15 minutes going through this about all the edges that exist now because all of these sports books are competing for the same players in the same space. And just, I don't want to say overbonusing, but there has to be some incentive to play. And sports books know this. And that's why you're seeing all these offers across the board. So uh, again, this this won't apply for like the professional better who's betting thousands of dollars a game that's not really get, you know in their wheelhouse. But there's a lot of people out there that aren't. They're recreational betting. They're betting for entertainment purposes where you can really take advantage of this kind of stuff. Uh, and it's not hard to find. So um, that's that's the spiel right there. Okay, and I got a real I got a real pro move for anyone who might want to take this a little more seriously and factor in everything here. Uh, these these bonuses are tied to a rollover, so it might be you know one x rollover, meaning if you get a five hundred dollar bonus, you need to play an additional five hundred before you can withdraw that money. And if you're planning to leave the money in there, it's not going to matter. You're probably even if you're betting ten bucks, eventually you'll you'll hit there or you know. Uh, whatever it might be. But if you're just trying to like get the money and then take it out right away, um, you may not want to have your money tied up behind a big rollover. Some of these are, you know, maybe a 5X rollover or an 8X rollover in which you have to roll over the money eight times. So a $1,000 bonus, um, sometimes it's deposit plus bonus amount. So your deposit's a thousand, your bonus is a thousand. Now you're at $2,000 total and they do an 8X rollover. You have to roll over $16,000. So for the $10 better, that's very hard and it will take a long time to get there. Uh, one thing you can do is a lot of the books will allow you to use your free play up to a certain uh, date range. So it might be one week, might be one month, might be three months. Um, consider either using one of two strategies. First would be waiting until the last po- like the last possible date to, to use your free play, knowing that you're going to have more information about what your account is at. So if you continue to bet for three months and you realize that your account now has only, you know, $10 in it of the thousand you, you, you deposited. Now you can go ahead and use that, that bonus, use that free play because your rollover is irrelevant. You only had that $10 in there anyway. So it's not a big deal. If you ran up that thousand dollar balance, now you're all of a sudden at 7,000. Um, if you use this free play, you know, that 7,000 is going to be tied up in there for a while. So what you could actually do is if it ends up being a plus expected value move, you can decline having that free play. So decline even using that bonus, even though it has an expected value, it may not be worth it if you need to tie up that money for whatever amount of time it would take you to roll over. Plus, if you don't have an edge and you're trying to roll it over in all likelihood, you're going to lose some expected value along the way. So that would be the first thing to do. And then the second thing would be uh, look at using it right away. So as soon as you get it, uh, as soon as you get that thousand dollar free play, put it in play right away before you, you know, necessarily deposit any money. So you may put that in play and bet the rest of your money on the same game. That way you now have a bigger edge on one game. If it loses, 
your account's now at zero and you don't have to worry about the rollover. You can go ahead and just deposit again. And if it wins, you're at a bigger balance now where you can play through the rollover more effectively. So those are just two strategies that are more like, you know, for um, people who want to take it a little more seriously, you want to get the, the true, like best value you can possibly get there is also a factor in one of those two things. I figured I'd just shoot them out. Um, they're not going to be for everyone, but if you have any other questions or anything, you can also uh, let us know there. How are we doing on time, Rob? We're doing good. I'm, uh, yeah, we're at uh, 48 minutes. I was hoping we'd both get in line for the top shot drop and oh, uh, then we can do a live. It, it got postponed again. It's not at five anymore? No, it's done now. It's, uh, they, they moved it back. So we'll, we'll scrap that. That could have been a, a fun listening, listening to. But uh, I guess instead of that, we could uh, we can talk about punks, a, a better project anyways. How's it been this week? You looking you following the market still? I'm still following the market. Um, I'm excited because obviously I have some equity in a, a couple of punks now. We talked about it last week, and we're starting to see a bit of a boom. This is fascinating, really, right? Because we're noticing like some trends um, of, I would say, the aesthetically pleasing. Punks starting to sell for more versus the ones that I would expect to sell for more, which are like punks with more rare or scarce traits in general. But like, I, I, I'm in love, I'm in love, like I'm addicted to punks at this point. I don't I don't even know what else to say. It's just become, it's become life for me. So, at, so we like, have, we it's absurd. We haven't talked about this between me and you even off air for a week. And, and I think we're both, we're both still in love with, I, I don't know. Maybe I was thinking maybe you lost your, you lost the passion for it. So you have still been following all the sales. Oh yeah, I, I have, I, I actually had to stop Twitter notifications for the punk sale bot on my phone because it was getting way too overwhelming. Cause it's been a good, there's been a lot of sales in the last week. And anytime I see a sale, I naturally have to check what sold, what were the attributes of that punk um, male or female, like I have to put a valuation on it. It becomes too much. Um, so I, I've kind of dialed it back from that point of view. Uh, but I'm definitely into it. It's funny because, um, I have a betting partner. I mean, Johnny, you, you bet with, with Julian at Betstamp, who's your partner. And I have my own betting partner as well. And he's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? Where it's like these, the, the punks are a Ponzi and like, it's a bubble. What are you doing? And this and that. And he's like totally against it. So we end up arguing every day, which forces me to spend like even more time with in the, in the punks marketplace, I guess on a daily basis. And then, um, some movers of mine, I guess, uh, or, and some mutual acquaintances are now starting to get involved as well. Um, who have been messaging me nonstop on a daily basis. Like I'm looking at this guy, what do you think? And it's, it's great, but it's, um, it's becoming a lot now where I'm going to have to say like, maybe I need to dial it back because it's an obsession at this point. That's the honest truth. Like it, it is, it is an obsession and maybe an, an unhealthy one at this point. Uh, come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, anything, <laughs> any, anything could be, uh, I can't fault you there. I've been getting a ton of messages as well. Even just from when we talked about it last on this podcast, I have a ton of people messaging me saying like, I must've got even just from friends and family, a, 
you know, over five messages, what is a crypto punk? <laughs> and I had to go, go through that one. So we're getting, we're getting the beginner. Uh, what is a crypto punk? What is this? And, 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 and I'm not an expert on NFTs. I'm, I'm not a huge, like I wasn't in it from the beginning. So I don't even really have that much, uh, experience with it, but man, is this thing fun? So, so how, how do you respond to those? Because like, for me, I get the same questions, right? Everyone around me, they, they think I'm crazy. Like I, I told the story about being at my in-laws a, a couple of weeks ago and telling my father-in-law about this and family. He, he went like, he pretty much went cross-eyed, like what, what the hell are you talking about type of thing. But I, I personally, the first thing I do is I send anyone who asks me about NFTs or why I'm investing in this kind of stuff. I send them the, the Bales article, um, the Lucky Maverick article, which is I don't remember what it's titled, but it's something like I spent $35,000 on an NBA highlight. Here's why something like that, which is a great read. It's a short read. It's like, uh, if you have like seven minutes, it's a really good one, but it explains the space a little bit more. And Bales gets a lot of, of criticism. And I actually kind of think it's fair criticism. And maybe we're going to get that same criticism going forwards for like, I don't want to say being shills of the NFTs in general, because I'm not there yet. I don't think I'm there yet at least, but there are people who are definitely shilling the space at this point, right? Like they're early adopters of these things and it's in their best interest to tr try to really pump up the prices of these tokens in general. For me, I, I'm actually passionate about this and I, I do think it's a good long-term investment because of the limited supply and the price point to get in. Like that's what really, to me, is the selling point, right? It's like no one is getting in now and then going to sell this for like 40 Ethereum, right? Like it's, I think it's a safer investment than people realize. And uh, I've, I've been answering a lot of questions, lots of questions in the last few weeks. My DMs are, are not even sports qu questions anymore. Uh, which is fine. I don't. I don't even care. But it's it's people who are interested in NFTs, and that's that's how you know it's booming, and and that it's a pretty good time to get in. Um, but it's always about timing the market with everything, right? And it's like when when are we going to hit that ceiling? When is when is the market cap going to be at its highest? And for me, I still think there's a long way to go. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I'm I'm still I'm still very much paying attention to this space. Like, oh. Uh, Every day, man. I, I, but, but this has been, this is naturally a problem for me. Like, this is me speaking from personal experience, but, um, I would say I can at times have paralysis by analysis, I will call it, where it takes me a long time to make a decision because I need to have all the data to make that decision. And then I probably second guess myself a million times on it. So I have to get rid of that. I have to get like a little bit more instinctual because I've let so many good ones just go to go away. Like it's frustrating. It's so I'm, I'm honestly this space, like I never get like this with like the stuff I do on a regular basis with betting. Like it doesn't typically affect me with the punks. If something goes up 
and I missed the bone on it. And I was looking at that specific one, evaluating it. I'm like, you know what? I think this might be a buy. And then for whatever reason, I talked myself out of it or waited a little or talk, someone else talked me out of it. And that when that one sells and appreciates so much, I get like, I'm legitimately frustrated about it. And when the whole market goes up, I'm like, I'm like, I, I should have way more money in punks. And then if the market were to go down, I'd say, well, I'm, I'm still be pissed that I lost money in punk. So I can't win at this point. It's tough for me to win in the short term. I, I believe like long-term, I'm going to hold these. I'm not selling anytime soon. I'm playing the market. Uh, I'm going to try to acquire some more, but like long-term, I hope, you know, it, it works out, but in the short term, like I'm just going to be miserable watching all these go by watching all the sales, just slip, slip through the fingertips. I wonder if that's just us or if that's like applies to the larger population, because for me, it's the same thing with Bitcoin. Um, I was an early adopter of Bitcoin purely by fluke because I had gambling winnings paid out to me in Bitcoin instead of cash. So, right. And for me, over time, I, I slowly sold some Bitcoin. But and I've done very well off Bitcoin in my life, and I'm still holding a very, you know, decent amount, I would say. But all I can think about is it's never enough. And I let this huge opportunity, like I never fully capitalized on the opportunity of a lifetime. But I've done well. Like I, I'm, I'm very. When it goes up, when it goes up, are you mad that you don't have more, or are you happy that what you do have appreciated? It's kind of, it's kind of the I'm mad that I don't have more type of thing. I, it's bad. I'm in a bad place on a, like mentally, there is no winning at this point. Such if it a goes bad way to look at it though, but uh, but it's just like that's just the human. Emo- it's so bad. It's such a bad way to look at it though. It's like you almost don't want it to go up because then you were upset that you didn't buy when it was lower, but then you, but your, your initial investment is still going. It's such a hard spot to be in. It's that's how I honestly feel about the punks. I know. But, uh, I, it, it is. It well, is I know, is. I know people will call me out on it and I have been before. They're like, Oh, you know, you're actually in a really good spot. There's people who, you know, are less privileged and unfortunate to not have, but like, it's just, it's just my mental, like, it's the way I think I it's naturally I'm a pessimist. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm, I do take the negative approach more often than not. I try, I'm trying to fix that on a personal level, but I, I just can't help but think that sometimes like I'll open my, I'll open my coin market cap app on my phone to check my portfolio on a day where, where Bitcoin went up 10% and I'm happy. But the first thought, just like you said, is man, like, why didn't I buy, I bought some more last week. Like, why didn't I buy five times? Like, why do I, why do I even have money in a bank account right now? Like, why am I not just putting that all into bit? Like, these are the thoughts that go into my head, right? But, but I'm married. There's other, there's other factors that are in the equation. Like my wife is- your tortoise. I got a tortellini. You've seen the amount he eats on a regular basis, right? I mean, he, he eats, but, and I want him to continue eating, but- um, my wife is extremely risk averse, like ex- to the max. And that comes from her father who is, you know, he's my, my father-in-law is, is very frugal. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. So it's just like, it's very difficult to have, to, to bet on sports full time, plus have 
the majority of our investments in cryptocurrency. Like it's, there's got to be, it can't happen in my life. Unfortunately, it can't. Like I'm not going to leave. I love my wife very much. I'm not leaving my wife so I can accumulate more Bitcoin. It's not going to happen. So, but I, man, I, there was those days where everything is mooning and I'm just sitting there like bitter. I'm making so much money and I'm so bitter. Like I'm, I, I go downstairs for lunch. I tell my wife, I'm like, look at this. Like we could be, you know, we could have made like three times this amount. I, I mean, I'm a horrible, horrible person, man. Like bad. I, I, I and there's, there's like, yeah, it's I'm not, not, I'm honestly trying not to laugh at what you're saying. You're like, we just made so much money and I'm so pissed. Like I'm la- I'm trying hard not to laugh at this, it, but it's, it's the, it's, it's the truth. It's the reality of the way that I, I live. And even like when I cash in on the, on my punks, it's going to be the same thing. First of all, I don't even know if I'm ever going to cash in on my punks. Like this is the thing with Bitcoin, right? And and my wife calls it fake money because like, when am I going to sell my Bitcoin? I, like, I don't, I don't know if I, at what point, like I don't have a number in my head where I'm saying, that's it. I'm cashing in on my Bitcoin. I'm out. I don't know if I'll ever get to that number because Bitcoin could go to a hundred thousand US and I'd be like, okay, what's next? 200, 250. Is it going to be a million one day? Like I'm always thinking about what it could be and I'm never going to realize that I'm going to, I'm going to be dead before I cash in on my Bitcoin. I'm type one diabetic. I'm not living a long life. It's just statistically improbable that I'm going to live into my eighties or nineties. I've come to that realization and like, what am I doing, man? I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm talking to a psychiatrist right now, Johnny, just like you're, you're sitting in, I'm sitting in the chair, you're listening to me, me vent, but this is what's going through my head with punks, like on a daily basis, right? We have a boom the last couple of days. And all I'm thinking about is not that I own a couple punks and that they're appreciating in value. All I'm thinking about is like, why don't I have, why don't I have 20 punks right now? Like, what am I doing? Why didn't you claim punks in 2017 when they were free? I already thought about that, right? Because I was I was part of uh, I was part of Crypto Kitties, so I've been down that path. Uh, I didn't even know punks existed till this year, by the way. So I I never knew of that at the time. It was never a, it's not something that I could have gotten involved in. But yeah, I mean, uh, this is just, this has been really. I'm glad I kind of was able to to get this off my chest and vent a little bit because it's 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 like that inner reflection that I needed to just, I'm a little bit calmer now. I know I got to change my, my ways of thinking going forwards, because as I say it out loud, it sounds so ridiculous. It's so stupid to think like that. It really is. So I got to change that. Yeah. Well, we both, I guess we both do. Uh, yeah. There's like, like you mentioned before, for anyone who, who's like listening to this podcast, this is obviously a podcast. It's, it's for, you know, people who are betting on sports and, and are, you know, typically a lot more privileged than the rest of the world. So we have to obviously be grounded and take that into account. There's so many things that, you know, we could be doing to make the world a better place. This is just kind of a, a fun little thing. So it's not necessarily to, you know, make anyone, you know, feel bad or anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, it, maybe, maybe other people are also going through these, these emotions with different things in their lives at different scales and, and could potentially, you know, reach out. Let's talk about it. Well, I, I listen, I do what I can in general. I, I, I do believe in karma. I donate pretty frequently to charity. You know, I have four World Vision sponsored children. 
Uh, I donate to UNICEF. I raise money for diabetes. Okay, enough, enough, enough. enough. No, but I, I'm saying like, I, I I don't want people to think I'm a bad person because of what I'm saying. I, I'm really not. I mean, selfishly, there are motivations for me making the donations, which is kind of like I have this belief of what goes around comes around type of thing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there is a little bit of selfishness there, but I'm not an I'm not a complete asshole. Let's let's put it at that. Like I I do try to remain grounded and I, I try to give back where I can in general. So uh please spare me the hate DMs or the emails or whatever. Uh yeah. Criticizing. <laughs> okay, so it looks like uh what what are we at now for time? One oh four. Okay, 104. Uh, yeah, that's good. Let's uh, you know, let's prep everything for tomorrow. We will uh, talk to everybody next week. See ya.